Park Hopping Podcast number 88, Midway Mania. Lots of important things to say. This is not art. Coming up next in our show. This is not media. First, the news. This is not news. Now, welcome back to the show. This is another crappy podcast production. Celebrating over 12 years of posting Disney stuff on the internet. This is another crappy podcast production. Hi there, this is Alan from DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 88, the podcast that proves anyone can have their own podcast. Well, welcome to the first show of 2009 of the Park Hopping Podcast, being recorded live from the data center deep below the Another Crappy Podcast compound here in Des Moines, Iowa, USA. So please excuse all the noise in the background. There are 14 hard drives doing stuff right now. Previously on the Park Hopping Podcast, I began telling the tale of my most recent visit to Disneyland, which was from November 28th to December 7th, and I shared my thoughts on the newly reopened Sleeping Beauty Castle walkthrough attraction. And today on the Park Hopping Podcast, we park hop across the Esplanade to discuss the Toy Story Midway Mania ride. But first, a couple of thanks. Thanks to my friend Steve out in Southern California. He's a nice guy who actually worked at Disneyland as a Jungle Cruise skipper back in the 70s, and we're going to talk to him on a future episode. He also has a Costco membership and does favors for friends. He was able to run down to Costco and pick me up one of those Disneyland passes with the $50 bonus gift card, which was used for admission since the first day of the visit was a blackout day. The uh, $50 bonus card was used towards a $40 single-day admission, so it ended up saving $10 overall. So thanks a lot, Steve. I do appreciate that. I also wanted to say hey to a Tim in San Diego and a Tim in Arizona. Both Tims spotted me in the park, and we'll talk about that in the future, so that's a little shout-out there. And lastly, I wanted to clarify a bit more about the hotel I stayed at, the Eden Rock Inn & Suites, spelled E-D-E-N. R-O-C, so you can look it up at Hotels.com. Maybe it'll save you some money your next trip. It's located just south of the parks, uh, right on the intersection corner where the Tuffy's restaurant is across from Coco's. You literally drive out of the hotel, turn to the right. There's one intersection. The north is the whole theme park complex with California Adventure and Disneyland on the right and the Disney hotels on the left-hand side. You'd normally have to drive all the way up and then make a U-turn and come back into the parking structure, but it turns out there's a surface entrance close to, uh, gosh, where is it, Disney Way or something it's labeled, but it's before you actually get to the parking structure. You can turn left there. It's kind of where the downtown Disney parking is, and they have a single toll booth that will let cars in, and they drive you through this flat parking lot just south of the parking garage. Then they drive you right over to the parking structure. And speaking of parking, $12 per car. $12. Can you imagine taking the family out and spending four days there and spending another $50 just to park your car? But I digress. So we'll start out in this parking garage uh, parked up on Daisy. I was doing something. This is a tip that I don't know where I started doing this. I started doing this with my digital camera in 2000 when I got my first camera with a display. When I would park, I would take a picture of where I parked 
so it would be the first picture on my camera. Now, I don't know if I read this somewhere back in 2000 or if I started doing it, but I've definitely seen it as a tip. It's an easy way to remember where you park as long as you start out with a fresh memory card each day. If you forget to format and you're 300, 400 pictures into it, maybe it's not that easy. So, the day began at Disney's California Adventure. First thing I like to do on most days when I'm bringing stuff in the park is go ahead and get a locker. They're up to $8 a day now, but it sure is convenient to leave jackets and other things in the locker and just come back and get them during the day. Uh, in my case, I would bring a light jacket, maybe, a, you know, I'd start out wearing shorts during the day and have a, a extra pair of pants in the locker. Sometimes I'd leave some of my camera gear that I wasn't going to use during the day locked up. I found it it's very convenient, so I just kind of factor in an extra locker fee every day. A lot of other folks just choose to bring a big backpack with them and carry it with them, so that's a, that's an option there. There's going to be a lot of remodeling going on at California Adventure over the next couple of years, including redoing much of the front area. When you go into California Adventure and turn to the right, there's an old uh, train, a big silver train that's been turned into various shops, including a toy store and an ice cream shop and the Baker's Filled Bakery, which is coffee and pastries. Now, I stopped there several times during the trip, and it was good as always, pricey as always, but incredibly slow. Just being in the store with maybe four other people waiting on coffee took a good five to ten minutes the three times I was there. I could not understand why they've gotten so slow serving drinks. It just might make my tradition of starting out the day with a coffee and a pastry something I skip if I'm in a hurry to get somewhere. I wasn't there early enough to actually see the rope drop in the morning. That was something I really wanted to do to make sure they're still doing it. I uh, missed it during the entire trip. So does anybody know if they're still letting people into California Adventure before they officially open the other sections of the park? If so, drop me a note, podcast at DisneyFans.com, and uh, let me know what you've seen there. So, after visiting the bakery, and by the way, every Christmas time, the Disneyland Resort has specialty items they bring out just for the holidays. This year it was holiday shortbread cookie that were uh, three small cookies covered in white frosting, kind of in the shape of a snowman. They also had gingerbread, men cookies, and then they had uh, pumpkin muffins and pumpkin bread that came in a little paper bread pan loaf thing. For the drinks, there is a pumpkin spice latte, which was okay, peppermint mocha, which was good, the hot spiced caramel apple cider, which was good, the eggnog latte, which was great. I love eggnog lattes. And then eggnog. They charge $2.49 for a large glass of eggnog. You could also buy a Happy Holiday mug for $4.69, and they would fill it with coffee or hot cocoa at the time of purchase. This year's mug featured the Disney characters and Stitch in front of a Christmas tree, and it said Happy Holidays on it. And I do want to gripe, nowhere on this mug did it say Disneyland. It just said Disney Park, so it could have come from any of the Disney Parks anywhere that they're, you know, part of the Disney Parks promotion. I'm going to talk a little bit about this mug again in the next episode when we discuss the Holiday Time at Disneyland tour. So after that, oh, by the way, they were giving out the free candy canes like they seem to do each year. Full-size candy canes were available. They would give them to you or they'd have them in a cup on the counter at most of these places. Walking into the park a little bit more, the central area there, the Sunshine Plaza where the giant golden sun icon is, has had a Christmas surf rock Santa Claus dance party thing the last couple of years. 
They weren't doing that this year, so I wasn't able to see Santa Claus in his Hawaiian shirt and sunglasses and the reindeer lifeguards and all the piles of sand they'd put up and the, the reindeer decorations. They just didn't do that this year, which was too bad. I, I get a kick out of seeing that each year because it's such a different Christmas-type view. Walking a little bit further into the park, my mission was to head to Paradise Pier and check out Toy Story Midway Mania first thing in the morning, but I noticed at the Golden Vine Winery, they had hung banners up promoting Walt Disney Imagineering's Blue Sky Cellar. They had uh, banners and colorful orange and yellow tapestries hanging along the edge of the building, and a big sign that said, Come inside for a preview of what's new and what's next for Disney's California Adventure. Artwork, models, sketches, updates, it's just a dream away. And I believe it's just a dream away is a line from Walt Disney's 1960s Carousel of Progress attraction. So it was nice seeing that put in there. Didn't check that out this day. It was in a hurry to get to the ride. As I got to the San Francisco Bay area of the park, they did have the former Golden Dreams Theater still decorated for Christmas, even though that performance, the Whoopi Goldberg film inside, has been closed. The Christmas tree was still out kind of in the little area right across from it. And walking towards Paradise Pier, I got to see that they have completely drained the big Paradise Pier lake area. You could see down to the concrete and see some of the support structures that were there from whatever they were for. Who knows, they might have been things that were used in the Luminaria Christmas show the first year. But it was interesting seeing it completely drained and scaffolding all up along the sun wheel. Very, very uh, different look to it. I've never seen this thing drained. Of course, the park's only been open since 2001. This was a a bummer at night because at night, that's one of the most beautiful views in any Disney park, looking out across the lake with all the lights of Paradise Pier reflecting back into it. Walking into Paradise Pier, as soon as you go around the corner and pass California Screamin', and you look straight down the lane, Screamin' is on the left-hand side, you can't help but notice the new buildings that were under construction last year but have been built to house Midway Mania, including a giant kind of a sign, Toy Story Midway Mania, and the facade that you exit out of, which is actually a, a gift shop. It's two stories tall because when you exit, you're on the second floor, kind of like how Indiana Jones and California Screamin' all have an area where they have to get you up and over the stairs, kind of the same thing here that gets you over the track when you're exiting. So it's definitely noticeable. The theming and detail on the building is very, very nice. There are other food stands that have been built across the way, including Don Thomas, the Midway's Best Bites, which was kind of a drink and chimichanga turkey leg stand. There was also some covered areas that do not seem to serve much of a purpose. I guess they could put outdoor vending in there or perhaps their extra uh, line areas when Midway Mania has an incredibly long line, but I didn't see those used that day. The Toy Story Midway Mania is interesting because there is no fast pass, and I actually commend Disney on doing that. The line moved continuously. It was kind of a long wait that day, but there's no fast pass, which means the line always moves, and they're not making you wait for a couple of minutes at a time while they keep letting fast pass people through in. Right out in front of the attraction that you pass uh, when you're walking by it is the area that has the Mr. Potato Head animatronic. Now, we had a 30-minute wait, so before getting into the line, we decided to check out Mr. Potato Head and walk around and look at some of the areas around there, kind of take some pictures of some of the details on the new food stands. California Screamin', by the way, was a 20-minute wait right now, so we actually grabbed a fast pass for that, then ran back to Midway Mania. Now, the cast members at Midway Mania 
are dressed in unique costumes for the area. There's a new churro stand across the way. There's the um, the chimichangas and turkey legs I mentioned, and there's a hot dog place. Looks like they've got plenty of snack places there. So, let's talk about Mr. Potato Head. The Mr. Potato Head animatronic was fantastic. It's a fully animated, full, huge Mr. Potato Head with the arms that move, the fingers that move, and the eyes are done using rear projection, similar to how they put the face on Buzz Lightyear at the Buzz Lightyear attractions. So they're projected from behind, and they actually project the pupils and the eyelids that close, allowing this animatronic to look around, blink his eyes, He can also reach up towards his hat and tip his hat. The hat will pop up as if he's doing it with his hand. And he taps his feet, wobbles back and forth, and he can actually take off his ear and hold it out in front of him and put it back on. The big deal about Mr. Potato Head is that this is an interactive animatronic. I've heard that it's completely automated using face recognition. I've heard that there's a cast member controlling it. Don't really know. It's just Disney magic. But he will respond to things that he sees outside in the line. He might say, hey, girl in the red, and start talking to a little girl wearing a red dress or outfit or shirt. Now, he's not real specific since all of the lines he said were pre-recorded by Don Rickles. But he will at least call people by male or female genders and comment on the color that they're wearing or a hat or sunglasses, things like that. And it's pretty darn spooky when he starts talking to you. But this is amazing. This is one of the coolest things that I've seen Disney do when it comes to animatronics. Since it's not a human figure, you don't look at it and go, wow, that looks fake. Most animatronics you see that are based on humans, they can look pretty realistic in how they move, but the face always falls short. The mouth doesn't move like a human mouth would move. Well, with Mr. Potato Head, they have created one of the most realistic pairs of lips that I've ever seen. I guess you can only see the bottom lip, so lip. It actually shapes the words that he's saying, so the mouth moves like a lip more realistically than any of the human animatronics I've ever seen at Disney. Now, this was heralded as a very big achievement for Disney animatronic. However, if you go out and get the 1960s video of the Haunted Mansion opening at Disneyland, one of the clips they show is the Imagineers working on the animatronic mechanics, and they show a head that uses kind of a spring-shaped mouth that's actually forming oohs and ahs and smiles. So Disney was working on this type of technology 40 years ago. We're just now seeing it applied to something where I guess they can make it work. So it was very fun watching Mr. Potato do his thing. Unfortunately, the line moved so fast, we moved around him in less than a minute, so there really wasn't much time to take it all in. We actually stood back and let people pass in front of us so we could watch the figure a little longer. So definitely worth checking out. Once you get into the actual line, there's not a lot there. They have some umbrellas set up outside to keep you shaded, and you're outside of this kind of Victorian-looking building. It's very nicely painted, nice little details, but you're just outside of the building. You finally enter into the building towards the back, and you zigzag up and down some aisles. This is right next to where the Midway Games begin. And there's some attraction posters on the wall for the boardwalk games that you'll be playing inside the ride. There's a poster for Woody's Rootin' Tootin' Shootin' Gallery that has kind of the instructions of the game. There's Bo Peep's Balloon Pop, Pop and Win. Uh, there's the How to Play poster that kind of tells you how you pull the little string to make your gun fire the rings. There's also a few more. There's one for the Green Army Men. And these are repeated. There's the what's Green Army Men Shoot Camp. 
and there's the Buzz Lightyear flying tossers and ham and eggs farm fresh fun or whatever so there's all these posters in there to give you an idea of what's actually going to be inside the game and they're all done very artistically no two are ever the same they say since you're playing basically a video game now once you zigzag past this room you pick up your game glasses and then you still have a little ways to go before you get on the vehicle i was kind of surprised they handed people their glasses this early and they're just over in trays off to the right grab them and you carry them with you for the next 5, 10, 15 minutes while you get up to the loading area itself. The loading area is all open air. You can actually turn and look to the sidewalk that people are walking by. You can see the backside of where Mr. Potato Head is. And the actual ride vehicles exit, go to the loading area, then go back in, similarly to how the ride vehicles at the Winnie the Pooh attraction do at Disneyland. The vehicles are four-seaters. There's two cars joined together. Each car has two people facing one way, two people facing the other way. So when you load, there are two sets of seats at the very end of these two vehicles facing out, one facing front, one facing back. There are two on the inside facing each other. And when you play the game, they'll line up. So you've got two people facing the left, two people facing the right, and one car. The car that's connected to it, it's the same way. So if you just see a picture, it's very different from any other Disney ride vehicle that I've seen. When you get into the vehicle itself, well, they have a gun mounted in front of you. You don't hold the gun in your hand. It's actually kind of on a tripod stand. The gun has kind of a circular handle that you can point with one hand, and the other hand is a string hanging off with a little round ball on the end of it. So to fire the gun, instead of reaching around and pulling a trigger like with Buzz Lightyear, you actually pull this string and let off, and it pops whatever the virtual weapon you're firing will be fired on the screen in front of you. There's also a little LCD display screen down between the two seats that starts out telling you, pull the string to shoot, put on your 3D glasses. When the ride takes off, it drives basically down a row of set pieces, kind of turns around, then it pulls in between sets of display screens. So remember, you have two vehicles, two people facing one side, two people facing the next, and the two cars are joined together. It just basically pulls into a room with display screens on each side. So you've got four people facing one way, four people facing the other way, and then you start playing the ride itself. Let me say that I was not expecting much out of this attraction. They put you in a car, they drive you in front of a big video game display screen, and you play Shooting Gallery. It's not a very amazing idea. It's in 3D, but there were 3D shooting games in the arcade back in the 80s where you looked through the visors and you interacted with objects and everything was in 3D. Yes, it's more impressive having something on a large screen using better technology. And I didn't expect to be wowed by this attraction. I expected it to be plenty of fun, just like a video game on a big screen would be anywhere else. But pardon the pun, I was blown away by how much fun this actually was. The different games you play were so realistically done for what they were. It really felt like the rings or the balls or the darts were coming out of the nozzle of your gun barrel. Because the gun barrel is fixed and cannot be moved all over the place like a handheld gun would, this let them know exactly where in three-dimensional space the projectile was supposed to be coming from. It felt really good. Some objects you'd uh, shoot, it balloons would pop, you'd feel a pop of air in your face. Water balloons would pop, you'd feel a sprinkle of water. 
There are a lot of little effects like that, and the games were a blast. You started out with a training round where you got to kind of practice, then you moved into the first zone, and you played for, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute. It wasn't very long. You threw rings, you shot darts, you threw balls and broke plates. All these little things that kind of represented the classic carnival games. It was a lot of fun. And the score was kept on the screen in front of you, so at the end you'd see player one and player two. You'd see the total score, what prize you might have won, like a bunny or a cat stuffed animal, and your accuracy rating. The first time I played, my accuracy was 28%, which means I missed three out of every four shots I fired. When you were leaving the attraction, a giant screen on the wall would tell you what the overall high scores for the day were. The best this month, which would have been December, no, November, was 441,800, right? So 441,000 points, I made 156,000 points. So I made a third of the high score, that's as close as I could get. For the high score of the day, the highest score was 224,000. Now keep in mind, the park had only opened maybe 30 minutes to an hour earlier. So I wasn't anywhere close to uh, the high score and maybe only a thousand people had played it before I got there. Oh, and hey, this ride actually supported closed captioning. There was a button you could press, and then when the characters were talking to you before and after each round and giving you advice, telling you how to play the game, it would actually put the words up on the screen. And of course, the screen at the very end would show you which direction to exit the vehicle. Look, folks, I'm noticing now I'm over 20 minutes. I really wanted to cover both this and the Monsters, Inc. ride today, but I don't want to do a very long podcast. So I'm going to end the show right now by saying... That'll about do it for me this time. But the next time you're there, be sure to take an extra picture, shoot some extra video, because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate is going to go away and never be around again, or an empty piece of property is just going to be replaced with a really, really cool Toy Story 3D shooting gallery dark ride. And on that note, I think that'll do it for me this time. So be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse around 60,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Disney World, and other theme parks across the country, as well as dozens of downloadable video files from the Disney parks. If you want to drop me a note, my email address is podcast at DisneyFans.com. Wow, that was too much talking about one attraction. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 88... Midway Mania. Thanks for listening. Another Crappy Podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting podcasts. Hey, if you're planning a trip to Walt Disney World and plan to stay off-site, and you've ever wondered what the deal is with all those cheap ticket timeshare promotions, visit DisneyFans.com secret. You can get a special deal at a luxury resort, all by enjoying a great breakfast while taking a tour and listening to a self-pitch. That's DisneyFans.com secret.